0: Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today I have two guests. I don't think I've ever had two guests on before. It's usually just one other person, and we have super interesting conversations covering a wide variety of topics from theology and apologetics. But today I have two uh, Christian brothers um, who are uh, deacons at Apologia Church, and uh, they just recently uh, did a debate with two Mormons on a very interesting topic. And so I think you guys are going to be in for a treat um, as we're going to be doing something that uh, you don't normally see. And Apologia Church, if you're familiar with the church and their apologetics ministry, you've seen it done there. But uh, generically speaking, we don't often get to see a presuppositional approach applied to Mormonism. Uh, so when we think of a pre, uh, presuppositional apologetics or, um, you know, the more technical term that when we use transcendental arguments and these sorts of things, we we typically think in terms of like the Christian and the atheist. But um, really, the presuppositional approach, because it's biblical and it's grounded in Scripture and um uh, it it can be used to uh, against any form of unbelief, and so um, I really enjoyed watching uh, the debate between uh, the two gentlemen that I'm that I'm going to have on with me in just a moment uh, with uh, the Mormon gentleman, and um, they did an excellent job. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that debate was about, what was their game plan, and how they applied uh, this what we would call a biblical apologetic to that context. And so. Um, they they did have a very uh, intimidating task uh, as they'll they'll go into into detail but uh, it was their first uh, public debate and of course you know James White is the moderator so uh, that can be a little uh, intimidating um, but they did a good job and I'm looking forward to jumping into this topic with them just as a heads up I think May seventeenth I might make a correction but. Um, This presuppositionalist right here is going to have an evidentialist apologist on my show. Now, as you guys know, I am a hardcore presuppositionalist. I believe that that is the biblical approach to apologetics. However, you have often um, heard me say that there is great benefit in learning from people who don't um, share um, our same apologetic methodology. And so when we learn, for example, uh, information from evidentialists and classicalists, the information is still useful. As long as we being faithful to uh, scripture and to our biblical presuppositions, we learn to contextualize that information in a way that does not compromise our biblical and presuppositional commitment. So I'll be actually having a doctor. uh, I don't know if he's a doctor. uh Jay Warner Wallace, who wrote the, the book Cold Case Christianity. He's going to be coming on the show, I believe May 17th. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'll double check. Um, and so it should be a really fun and interesting conversation. And so just wanted to give you guys a heads up. We want to look uh, at our classical brothers, our evidentialist brothers, and even unbelievers that we're engaging with through presuppositional eyes, through the lens of, of the authority of scripture. So uh, when we do that, we can still find great value uh, in speaking with those that we uh, we don't necessarily agree with on various issues. So with that out of the way, I would like to introduce my guests, uh, Oscar Dunlap and Daniel Constantino. How are you guys doing?
1: Good, good. To be here. All right.
0: Well, well, welcome. I'm happy that you guys are here. Congratulations. I think you guys—it's the first time I ever had two guests on. So, for what it's <laughs> worth, thank you. congratulations. This, this oh. is
1: the second time that happened with us. Yeah, uh, yeah, with, yeah. With Pastor James, when he brought us on the dividing line, he said the same exact thing. He's like, I've never had two people in, uh, in studio with me. So. I don't know, maybe yeah. we're, we're just gonna get used to this. It's good to be <laughs> at first, right? So
0: now that you guys did this this kind of two-on-two two debate, I wonder if you'll ever get on someone's show individually. It only I, I can't see one without the other. I, I reached out to Oscar and I was like, Hey, is your is your buddy joining us? Like I it feels weird if it's just you. So um, you guys, I'm happy that you guys are here.
1: Praise God. We are too. Thanks for having us.
0: All right. Well, why don't you take a few moments to let people know who you are, a little bit about uh, your church and what you guys do. And then we'll kind of jump right into the discussion of your debate and um, and just the main content of the show tonight. where We're talking about presuppositionalism and Mormonism. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, Sure. So uh, we are both, as you said, deacons at Apologia. We do uh, a lot of evangelism. Um, we, we, we run some Bible study groups at our church, and uh, we're just very active in ministry throughout the week. Uh, our church um, does a, a great deal of ministry um, out in the abortion mills um, uh, downtown. We're all about reaching out in the culture, right, pressing the crown rights of Christ, um, and, and trying to make His name uh, known. So that's and that's that's our primary thing as far as ministry goes, and then. Um, Kind of uh, when that happens, we kind of run into some individuals and sometimes it turns into longer, deeper discussions. And we're always happy to uh, to kind of uh, go go further into those discussions if if time permits. And so. uh, Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So we'll usually go out uh, Friday, Saturdays together. We have a first Friday. We'll go out to downtown Phoenix. You have thousands of people there. Um, We run into Hindus, witches, Muslims, Roman Catholics. Everything you can think of under the sun. Um, we have a Mormon outreach, so I lead that every other Sunday. What we do is, is we go to their—they're called wards. It's basically their churches where they meet for their Sunday gathering, and we'll go out there, we'll stand outside, and we'll engage and try to call people, and say, "Hey, like, let's have a conversation. We love you guys. We're—we're we, we're concerned about some things your church teaches. Like, can we talk about it?" So that's actually how this debate came about. Um, through our Mormon outreach, one Sunday we are out at a ward, probably five minutes from my house, um, and Hayden, one of the Mormons we debated, comes down and he's like, hey, and we start exchanging information, me and him having great conversations, and that eventually leads to us having the conversation uh, with Matt, Oscar on, on their podcast, Two Witnesses podcast, and that led up to the debate. But the, the whole point was the way the debate originated was just through outreach. By saying we love our Mormon neighbors, we're going to take time out of our Sunday morning to go out and talk to them about the gospel, about why they're they're under a false teaching, a cult, a, a Christ that can't ultimately save them. And so um, mm. we do that every other Sunday at Apologia.
0: So, so for people who might not know, and I know people who are in, in apologetics and learn about the… <laughs> the cults and, and the theology of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness and things like that. Why is it the case? Uh, and I guess I have two questions here. So why is it the case that Mormons require evangelism? You know, there are some Mormons who might be watching who are like, what are you talking about? You know, we're genuine Christians, you know? <laughs> what What is the yeah, key difference between what we would call uh, Orthodox Christianity and, um, and Mormonism? And perhaps you can um, make a distinction between the different kinds of Mormonism uh, that's out sure. there. I was sharing. Sure. Uh, I was. Uh, I posted something. I think you guys might have seen it on Facebook um, about Mormonism and how the Mormon God is unable to ground, you know, sure. logical yes. absolutes and stuff like yes. this. And there was a uh, an old friend of mine who was a Mormon reached out to me, um, and sh- and she was under the impression that um, what I thought about Mormonism was perhaps from a source other than the main branch of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. There's a branch mm-hmm. that broke off, um, and, and and so she thought that I was having misinformation that, no, it's not what you think. It's this over here. What is it about Mormonism that regardless of whether the branch, you know, the main branch one that broke off, what is it about Mormonism that requires us as Christians to still proclaim the gospel to them?
1: Yeah, uh, there's two, there's two main big, big problems, the person of Christ and the gospel itself, right? So if you ever hear Christians talk about the Bible, we say this is ultimately about Jesus, both testament mm-hmm. prophesied about him in the gospels, he arrives in Acts, he's proclaimed in the epistles, he's explained, and in Revelation, he's expected. Right? It's, it's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so, we would agree it's important then that we get the person of Jesus right. If, if he's the central aspect of the Bible, we can't say there's room to get him wrong. And so, part of Mormon theology includes things about Jesus that we would say is fundamentally. In opposition with with what the Bible teaches. Uh, For example, one quick one is Jesus being the creator of all things, right? You have John 1 3, it says, If anything was made, it was made by him. And I always tell people, okay, John's telling us that if it falls in a made category, if you can look at this over here and say it's made, that means Jesus made it. Okay. In Colossians 1, you have Paul's explanation about all things were created through Christ and for him. And then he He exhausts every category there is, right? He says visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Christ and in him, all things hold together. So you have this consistent, it's not just those two verses, there's more, but you have this consistent teaching from scripture that Jesus created all things and the Mormons don't teach that. And so the, the problem is not, I, I had a Mormon tell you this, do you think when I die, God's going to ask me, well, did Jesus create all things? And the, the, the problem is not that God's going to ask you that when you when you meet him in judgment. The problem is who died for you on that cross? Mm. If, if the creator of all things didn't die for you on the cross, if he's just an offspring, if he's a, a part of creation himself, that sacrifice is not sufficient. It can't pay for your sins. Mm. Um, and so the person of Christ is one area that, is distorted in Mormonism. They teach that he's offspring of Elohim. Um, They would not affirm, you can ask Mormons this, they would not affirm that Jesus created Lucifer. They would actually Mm -hmm. say that he's spirit brothers with him. He's even our spirit brother. Um, And so that's one area. And the second one is the gospel itself. Uh, How are you saved? How are you reconciled Mm -hmm. uh, with God? And every cult will affirm you need grace, right? You need some of God's mercy. But in Roman I 10, it tells us that God's grace is only sufficient for us after we've done all we can do. Right. That's when it becomes sufficient. So the question you ask a Mormon is, have you done all you, you can do? And if they're if they're honest, they're gonna say no. And so it's it's this teaching of the gospel where it's like, yes, God's grace is necessary, but you also need to do your part as well. There's actually something that you can show before God. And if you talk to any Mormon, they might want to deny that language, like, no, 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 there's nothing I can do. And it's like, okay, that's fine, but you need to be consistent with that. And the problem sure. is, is you're not. Your prophets have taught otherwise, the Book of Mormon teaches otherwise, and you live in such a way that you're trying to show God things you've done to merit salvation. And we would mm-hmm. say, of course, good works for, for Christian are, are a good thing, but they don't merit any good favor in in front of God. So, the, so that's okay. the reason why they need to be evangelized.
0: Okay, so um, that's interesting. So you said something about the uh, grace of God being sufficient after all they can do. So so his grace is not sufficient unless you're meeting some prior condition of righteousness. So now as a Protestant, I understand grace as being undeserved or unmerited favor. Do Uh, Mormons understand grace in that way? Because if they do then there seems to be a conflict with what the definition of grace is and the condition that has to be met. If it's unmerited, then how right. must? why does it only come after a condition of righteousness is fulfilled? Do they have a different kind of a nuanced understanding of what grace is? Maybe Oscar, if you want to jump in on that.
2: Yeah, that's where we see a fundamental contradiction, right? Uh, Doing okay. an eternal critique of Mormonism, you'll see that those two concepts are in conflict. Right. Okay. They will affirm when talking that they believe grace is unmerited favor. But then when you actually critique, right, the, the fundamental beliefs of, of Mormonism, you'll find that uh, that which they make more meritorious is in contradiction. In fact, with the biblical definition of grace. So when you make grace conditional, you've then ma- you've then made uh, you, you've put a merit there and it, it destroys fundamentally It destroys it being unmerited. Right. So you can't have both of those concepts. So I think I think what's what's interesting is when we when we view that we, we had a conversation with our opponents and it, and it took us 30 minutes to really flush <laughs> out that concept. Yeah. Right. They would say, no, no, we believe we believe by salvation, do salvation by grace alone as well. And then and then eventually Daniel got to wait. Don't you guys believe that they need to be baptized in order to be saved? And like, absolutely. And like, well, that's a contrary concept. Now, <laughs> Now you've just introduced something different than what we've mm-hmm. been saying the whole time. Once you add a condition, it's no longer grace. Now it's due. Now you're owed something. And that's that's Paul's argumentation yeah, yeah. Uh, in Romans and also in Galatians when they're adding circumcision, right? You destroy the gospel when you add anything to it. Mm. All
0: right, very good. Now here's my other question, and then I want to get into – this is my last question before we get into kind of the issue of the debate that you had. Now um, folks have heard you uh, say at the beginning here that you guys do street evangelism. Now there are Christians who – Um, may want to get into that, but it's kind of an intimidating thing, you know, like to go out into the street. What do you do when you go out and okay, we're outside. There's a, there's a bunch of Mormons, there (laughs) are Christians, there are Hindus, there's some random cult that you never heard of before. How do you start or begin to engage in conversation without being like the weird Christian who's holding up this huge (laughs) sign?
2: You know, uh, sure. how do you
0: how do you engage? How do you kick off the conversation uh, and really just start interacting with people right away?
2: Right. I, and- I think I think what, what's fundamental uh, for us as Christians is approaching it from a from a biblical worldview. So actually, the last sermon from our church, from Pastor Jeff, uh, was the ending of uh, Matthew. Right. We just finished Matthew. I think it took the church eight years to get to yeah. Matthew.
1: Right. Eight years. And, <laughs> and
2: Matthew ends with 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 Christ proclaiming that all authority in heaven and earth is his and he says therefore go right therefore go we make disciples um of the nations and that's the that's that's our that's what rounds us when we're going in uh, right we're, we're going into uh, um uh, apologetics or evangelism we're going out into the culture to press the rights of Christ we're going out as ambassadors of a king right so our common ground with all people is that we're all made in the image of God right we, we recognize that that's that's fundamental to us all. That's our that's our that's our starting place. And then going from there, understanding that that's that, that that's true, and understanding that the Bible is is infallibly true, we can go and speak with authority into the lives of individuals because we know their Creator, and He's told us to go and preach to them. So if we truly believe what we're saying, truly believe what we believe, then how could we not? It's not so much a question of how do you or how could you? How how could you uh, get into uh, uh, evangelism? It's how could you not? Right. Yep. If this is true, then it necessitates uh, Christians to go out into the culture and, and to preach. Sure. As far as like methodology and things like that, I think that's something that you grow in over time. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just a practice of doing it and you get better at it. Um, my, my brother, um, Matthew Paces, our, our podcast is kind of all entirely what we focus on. Uh, two minutes mm-hmm. podcast, it's all about going out. Well, what's the methodology? What's the mm-hmm. mindset uh, going mm-hmm. into the culture and preaching? But I think as far as, um, why is it necessary? Um, it's, it's because all authority is Christ. Yeah.
0: Sure. So, so, so when, so when you're out, when you're out on the streets, do you like walk up to a person and be like, "Hey, man, do you know Jesus?" <laughs> like, how does, well, how does that? Look? So we understand the necessity of it because yeah. of course the, the sure. scriptures teach us. It's kind of like when someone says, you know, how do, how do I become a strong Christian? And then the generic answer, and it's a correct answer is you we pray go. and you read the bible <laughs> but, but not yeah. there you go are you, are you pentecostal you have the gifts of the spirit you read my it mind <laughs> it's the forest, uh, it's the forest. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um so, so when someone says pray and read the bible um well, not everyone knows what that looks like. Well, how do I read sure. the Bible? I mean, do I just open up anywhere? It's like, how do I study the Bible? How do I pray? Am I just talking? Is there a way to do it? When someone says, go out and proclaim the gospel, like what does that look like? Do we stand on the top right. of a rock and and, and scream, repent? Yeah. You know, like what, what does that look yeah. like? If you can show me in like a thumbnail, how do you actually talk to someone? So suppose I'm yeah. a Mormon. Yeah. I'm the I'm the local Puerto Rican Mormon, right? Just walking the street, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I meet Jesus, and so I see you two gentlemen on the street, and so what is this going to look like?
1: Yeah, so um, practically speaking, one, it's just good not you can't go alone. It's, it's probably better not to. Um, and I always tell people, when you first start this type of ministry and outreach, go for a couple weeks and just listen to people who've done it for years. That's, that's the way you're going to benefit greatly. But Practically, what does it look like? If, if we see a Mormon walking and it's me and Oscar, we say, hey, do, do you have a minute to talk about? We know there are already Mormons. So, hey, do you have a minute to talk about Jesus? Right. Because it's already that kind of common ground. They, they believe in him and they say, yeah. And really, it, it turns into uh, Bonton says, if you if you give somebody enough time to talk, they'll hang themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So now it's a matter of asking them questions. Hey, like, be genuine. I tell people all the time, be genuine. Sure. What's, what's your name? How long have you been in the Mormon church? Where did you serve a mission? At? Like ask those questions generally, not to like just kill time, Ask, to, get to know the person. And okay, what do you, is it true that you believe this about Christ? Is it true that, that um, you believe Christ didn't create Lucifer? How would you reconcile as a Mormon when Joseph Smith says this, and then it's good to show them the actual quotation, uh, in the King Folly Discourse of Joseph saying you can become a god. How do you reconcile that with Isaiah 43 and then read it to them and, and let them get an answer? So practically speaking, when you're talking about uh, evangelism in the street, it's good to ask people questions and to let them actually hear their folly. Sometimes they haven't thought about it, but when they actually say it out loud, When you press them enough and and they say something whether it's an atheist or mormon and they say something they're like oh my god did i just say that and they may not tell you then but they'll go home and they'll think about what they said so um a good practical tool is asking them questions obviously you want to be grounded in the scriptures you want to know how to respond um you want to know how to stay on task don't argue about things that on the outside at the end of the day you're looking at an image bearer of god who's going to die one day Who's gonna who's gonna see God? And so you want them to have peace. And that needs to be in your message too. Is hey, I'm I'm concerned for you. I want you to have peace with God. I understand right. as a Mormon, you may be self-deceived. You may think you actually have peace with God and, and you don't know him. And that's why I'm here. That's why I want to talk to you. If it's an atheist, it's hey, I understand you you may hate your creator right now, but I know I don't deserve his his mercy and his grace either. And I want you to have peace and be reconciled to your God. And so um Asking questions is going to be key.
0: Excellent. Well, folks, if folks are interested in learning how to ask questions, uh, you could watch videos, of course, w- watching people engage Mormons and Jehovah's Witness. And I know, yeah. um, Apology, on their on their YouTube channel, there's a lot of content there. Uh, but there is an excellent book out there that I highly recommend, and it is called Tactics by Greg Kokel. Excellent resource, yeah. teaches you how to ask questions and navigate conversation. I think that's an excellent resource uh, for people doing small groups and things like that. Cocal's not a presuppositionalist, but if you uh, read the book, it's very presuppositional, and there's a lot of useful information there um, to navigate conversation. But um, All right, well, thank you for that. Well, let's jump right into uh, the debate then. Um, the debate topic was uh, super interesting. The proposition was, <laughs> on what authority should we believe okay and of course um you guys took uh the reformed protestant uh position and the the mormons took their their own position now um can you explain for us then what is the nature of the answer to that question from a mormon perspective okay that's the first part and was the position they held was that normative <laughs> for mormons or did they have kind of this idiosyncratic view of the authority that differs from say the broader Mormon church.
1: Yeah. Sure.
2: Um and anybody so, can so, jump in and,
0: and answer that. Yeah,
2: yeah. We can we can kind of tag on that. Um so so to answer the first part, um uh the, the the traditional Mormon position, uh it would be predicated upon the veracity of Joseph Smith's claims, right? Uh uh prophethood and priesthood, um, um the restoration of the gospel. It's all predicated on whether or not Joseph Smith's first vision is true. If he's truly a prophet uh, sent from God, Um, and they would, and they would, uh, all of their authority, the authority of the church, would rest upon that. And so, uh, typically of argumentation um, dealing with uh, Mormons and their and their um, their ultimate authority is going to be dealing with the authority of the prophets. And then, and then, and then, I think along with that, it would be. uh, the validity of personal revelation that they can receive from the Spirit of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think those two aspects is everything stands on those, right? You have these prophets of Mormonism, right? Joseph Smith and the following prophets. And then you have a a, a direct line to God to basically witness to you whether or not these prophets are uh, true prophets. So I would think that's, that's probably normative uh, as far as all of the people that we've come in contact with in the Mormon literature that we've read. Um, what they presented though um no not at all it was <laughs> not enough we had mormons tell us uh, directly that that is not what we believe um that's not what the church teaches um they would say w- what they presented was consistent uh, but it's not um it's not normative uh, from what we experience with mormons whatsoever you want to add anything?
1: yeah so actually um so this is what they were supposed to this is what they were supposed to say right so we said okay what we're going to argue for is the scriptures alone and they're going to argue for something called the collective witness model. So mm-hmm. one of the Mormons we debated, Jacob, he actually coined that term. It's an idea. Right. He has a YouTube video. You can go find it. Um, the, the idea is you take a collective uh, amounts of evidence and evidences and resources. And when you combine them together, that's how you know things. Right. And, and you, you can have greater certainty or, or less certainty, de- depending on all the evidences you have to your disposal. Mm-hmm. Um so th- he actually coined that term. Now, when you when you look at Mormons historically, they are fine and OK with saying because Joseph Smith and because the spirit told me and that's it. And they're fine with that. They, they actually uh, they're, they're getting advice from Mormon apologists named Robert Boylan. And they did an interview with him after the debate, kind of similar to this. And they asked him, hey, how would you have responded to this question? Well, what are your answer would have been? And he would have been personal revelation. That would be my ultimate authority, personal revelation, uh, and that would have been uh, seeking sand too. But sure. the point is, I think they were trying to disguise. That was essentially the answer as well, personal revelation. But they were trying to disguise their actual ultimate authority and say, "Hey, we appeal." To all these evidences, God gives us our eyes, God gives us reason, God gives us the prophets, God gives us history. And so when we look at all these evidences, we can triangulate and see and come to a conclusion. And the most important witness of their collective witness model is the spirit. So Mm -hmm. when we press them on that in the debate, you'll hear them say, when I asked them, how do you know anything infallibly? Well, because the spirit told me. Okay. And then I asked them, is it possible that it's actually Satan telling you those things and not the spirit? And he says, yes. So, um, it's a bunch of mumbo jumbo. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's sinking sand because Jesus tells us that the wise man builds his life on, on the words of Christ. And yeah. the moment you don't do that, you're building your house on the sand. So they've tried to disguise all these appeals to evidence and, and all these things that sound nice. Um, but it really has no ground. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So,
0: if, if someone says, well, personal revelation or the use of my reason, uh, there was a lot of appeal yeah. to reason and observation yeah. and things like that, which um, I think is very interesting. If 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 um, if people understand what God is like in Mormonism, that he has a body of flesh and bone, <laughs> he
1: yeah.
0: is he is stuck. The God of Mormonism is stuck in the same way human beings are in what philosophers yeah. call the egocentric predicament. There is no way to get outside your finite self to get an objective vision of reality and to know how facts relate to each other exhaustively so that God ultimately has to be agnostic with respect to certain claims (laughs) to knowledge. Right. Right. So when your God tells when the God of Mormonism tells a Mormon reveals something, the certainty of that fact is as dubious and doubtful as it is for the God who reveals it because he doesn't have, he's not absolute all encompassing, like the God of Christianity. So that was very interesting. But at any rate, let me, let me turn it around on you guys. So if someone were to say personal revelation, okay. uh, Or, you know, the evidence, whatever, and then you kind of offer your critique and you say, well, wait a minute. Well, what do you have, Mr. Christian? What is your authority? And on what basis can you be certain of that? How would you answer that? And please give me permission to interrupt and give pushback while you give your answer, just so people can ahead, see what man. it yeah, looks yeah. like yeah. in conflict. Go ahead.
2: Sure. What's sure. your authority? Uh, so we 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 would stand on scripture as our ultimate authority. Uh, no, no 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 no. no no
0: no Oscar no no no. You don't stand on scripture. You stand <laughs> on your interpretation of the scripture. Okay. Right. See, so, am I doing am right. I doing good? Do Yeah, you're doing very good.
1: No, I'm glad. I'm
2: I'm glad. That's That's the first critique, right? Yeah. We stand on our interpretation. And and I would push back and say that uh, God has been clear in his word uh, pertaining to his will for man, pertaining to uh, his nature, pertaining to the nature of scripture itself. Um, And so we can be sure about the things that we're holding to as absolute uh, regarding particular things. Everything in scripture is not exhaustive pertaining to the knowledge that God reveals within. Um, But there are things that God has spoken with perspicuity and that we can be sure about.
0: Okay, okay. But the Roman Catholic or the uh, Jehovah's Witness or whatever, they say, well, the word of God is clear. And you guys Mm -hmm. completely disagree. So saying that it's clear that God has revealed these things doesn't make it so. You're just evincing your bias towards your interpretation.
1: Sure. What well, what we'd say is, for example, if you look at the Jehovah's Witness or the Roman Catholic, is they themselves have to be inconsistent with the scriptures. So with with one hand they'll affirm the scriptures are clear, right? God cannot lie, and then when you when you hear them deal with a text that is in complete opposition to their beliefs, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. We can take you through hours and hours of scriptures, multiple Old and New Testament. Proving the deity of jesus so when you want to know how is someone how is someone's interpretation true right the question is what's consistent with what's been revealed in the scriptures if there's two different interpretations the problem is not the scriptures the problem is one of the people one of us is wrong but what you don't do is dismiss all of scripture and say it must be the scriptures Right. right so the question is okay now we know that the Scriptures are the Word of God. Jesus held men accountable to the Scriptures in Matthew 22 and all throughout His ministry with ease. You see the Lord Jesus quoted from the Scriptures as authoritative. Have you not read? right? Have, have you not read what God spoke to you saying? And even, even the Sadducees in His day, they didn't say, Jesus, we don't understand that interpretation. Or Jesus, how are we supposed to know what that meant? Jesus holds them accountable for what was spoken, and He says, God spoke this to you. So... Uh, there is there is a clarity in the scriptures. It's a, it's an objective testimony of God's revelation of how God reveals Himself. Of course, we would acknowledge the scriptures themselves say there are hard passages and other. Sure. And as Christians, we should be diligent to say, okay, what's the context? Who's writing this? Why? What does all of Scripture teach on this? Um, but as Christians, we hold ourselves to high standards. We should be able to do that. It's not the hardest work, but it requires some type of focus and. Diligence to say, okay, I'm going to understand this passage. But what it's not saying is that it's completely ambiguous, and nobody can know what what the interpretation is. Right. Uh, when it says Jesus wept, I don't know how else you're going to interpret that. Then yeah. he wept. That's clear, right? And there's other passages that talk about other things, not just physical things Jesus did, that are clear as day. That you have to be dishonest to say I don't know that interpretation.
2: Right. And just to add now, to that, really quick, really, yeah. really quick. Just to add to that. Sure, sure. Um, if, if you deny that you actually give up the reality you give up uh, the reality of apprehension of absolute truth if you deny that scripture is clear on, on, on certain issues right pertaining to salvation and the will of God there is no way, way to ground truth whatsoever so so the argument on the other side is is the, de- the destruction of knowledge essentially mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I this I, when I was listening to that portion about interpretation uh, I was thinking about this and I, and I think this is important to bring out is that the existence of multiple interpretations does not negate the reality and possibility of one having the correct interpretation. Now, some says, well, that's just your interpretation. Cool, but my interpretation (laughs) is correct, even if you disagree with it. The fact that you disagree with it doesn't falsify my interpretation. So what we believe as Christians, and I know that you guys would agree with this, is that while it is up to interpretation, number one, multiple interpretations does not negate the possibility of a true one. And number two, because God has revealed, uh, revealed himself through his word, God has seen fit to use language as an adequate mechanism to conveying truth. So it's an okay, adequate yeah. mechanism. According to God, language is sufficient to, to understand if you deny that and you kind of adopt some kind of linguistic agnosticism that we really can't interpret language then, you know, I can say, you know, someone says the Book of Mormon is true. And I'd be like, thank you for saying you like my sweater. I could just yep. I could just <laughs> I could just interpret That's- anything you say in any possible way. You know, um, yeah. and it, you can't you can't object to that because you've now relativized right. all of language and you've denied the central um, idea that language is a sufficient tool for interpretation because it's not just books we interpret. It's conversations. I'm exe- yeah, as, yeah. as we're having this conversation. I have to exegete your words in my mind and, and interpret. Yeah. And, and we're we're in agreement that certain words mean certain things in context. And so as you said, Jesus wept. I mean, that's a that's a sufficient statement. I could know what that statement means. And if I could know yeah. what that statement means, then why can't we apply this to these other areas, even if someone wants to close their eyes and say Jesus wept doesn't mean Jesus wept? And <laughs> right. oh,
1: you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so that, that's really that's one of the thing. That's one of the things we were talking about as we were prepping for the debate was you're really seeing a, the, an assault on the sovereignty of God from how they're presenting their, their God is, right? Which is why I think Oscar brought up greatly uh, in the psalmist says, our God is in the heaven. He sits and he does as he pleases. If God yeah. wants to reveal himself through the scriptures, to the writings of the prophets and the apostles, w- we as men are nobody to tell God, hey, God, you should have done it better god you should right. have done it this way the the clear teaching is is that it is how god has revealed himself um that's taught clearly through the apostles and again the lord jesus held men accountable for what was written in the scripture i think it was interesting that they didn't engage at all with second timothy 316 first peter one second peter one and matthew 22 and there's a verse we could have went to but those were verses where you see the scriptures being placed at such a high pedestal that it, this is the ultimate authority. Right. This is how how we know things. And if if the Lord Jesus held this view, you have to ask yourself, do I want to hold a position that Jesus didn't hold? Sure. As someone who's who's professing to believe in Jesus, right? right? If Jesus believed the scriptures were clear and sufficient that he was quoting from Exodus, which is written 1,400 years earlier, he he can quote that and say God spoke this to you, right? Mm. right? Then Christians now 2,000 years after the apostles. God spoke to you and you're, you're accountable. Yeah, that's an
0: excellent point. Now, now thinking in terms of, uh, well, real quick, let's let people who are listening, there, there's a question here. Um, we'll take it towards the back end of this discussion, but if anyone has any questions, these two gentlemen have agreed to take questions. So please preface your question with question, uh, so that I could differentiate them from the comments. Uh, so, uh, please, I encourage you guys to do that. Um, all right. So, um, in the discussion there was a debate about interpretation i think you guys navigated navigated that well but something interesting happened in the debate and that the debate is uh you know uh, what, what was it called again the author- which which authority should we follow or something like that
1: yeah um, what authority should we believe man?
0: there we go the conversation weirdly kind of veered off into a a um a critique of Calvinism. So, so how did you guys navigate? Uh, how did you guys navigate that shift in the topic? I mean, did you, do you think this was yeah. a strategy on their part uh, yeah. to attack a theology that is really easy to attack because it's easily misunderstood by a lot of people? Um, or do you think that they were genuinely kind of like, you know, hey, this is a legitimate topic to bring up in the nature of this discussion? What are your thoughts there?
2: Uh, well, well, it's even hard to. Call it veer, because <laughs> from the very beginning, their opening statement was, I was trying to be, uh, be nice, Oscar. I was
0: trying to be nice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> their opening statement was a rebuttal against Calvinism, and I and I mentioned that in my in my rebuttal. Like that wasn't an opening statement. That wasn't a positive presentation. We both were supposed to present our 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 positive presentation, our worldview, um, our epistemology, and we were supposed to also critique each other's. Well, they came out and entirely critiqued. Right. Towards the very end, did they actually address the question and very, very briefly, not in a way that anybody could walk away from them and actually tell you, hey, what do the Mormons believe? What, right. How do they know what's true? <laughs> they would say, oh, we know what's true because God told us. And really, it's like, wait, don't you also have to interpret what God is telling you? Are you sure that that's God telling you that or are you presupposing that? And they would say, oh, we don't presuppose anything. So we could go. We could go all the way with that. But as far as as far as them. Um, attacking Calvinism, um, I think it was a strategy of theirs. And I think what it shows is weakness in their position. Um, when when you cannot adequately defend your position, you make it a point to continue to attack. Um, I think they, 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 they put up this, um, they, 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 um, they, they approached the debate in this way, um, because there's a lot of things, as you said about Calvinism, when they are misinterpreted or when they're explained poorly, um, they will get an emotional reaction from it. So bringing up things like Anne Frank or bringing up God's sovereignty and and all of the acts throughout history, those things are going to draw an emotional response. And if you actually look at the comment section from the debate, most Christians or a lot of Christians who aren't reformed and who aren't presuppositional, they take uh, um, they 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 critique our methodology in, in the debate because they don't understand our position. Um, so I think what was most difficult about that is. Trying to stay true to the topic um, of the debate, as well as trying to answer some of their misrepresentations of of Calvinism, yeah. because they presented what they were talking about wasn't Calvinism either. So they didn't they didn't actually present Mormonism or Calvinism, right? They sued so, so a bunch of stuff. If up. I
0: didn't know if I didn't know anything about Calvinism, and I, I watched that debate, I would come away from the debate and say, apparently Calvinists just hate Anne Frank,
1: right, like apparently right, 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 the yeah, very right. very surface. And,
0: very surface and level. I, I you know, think,
1: God, yeah, good. I think, I think part of it, I think, was uh, if we think, okay, was it dishonest? Was it honest? Part of it was dishonest in terms of, yeah, we we had we had hours of conversation with them. Okay, we want to make this as meaningful as possible. We have to argue at the bottom. It doesn't make sense for us to debate the person of Christ because we're just going to disagree on our what we're appealing to. Right, so let's right, let's right. debate what we're appealing to. We spent hours saying okay we want this debate to be that and then they show up and then they start talking about calvinism yep uh, so that part was dishonest but i think part of it was honest because if you look at their ultimate standard it's it's emotional for them sure. it's what god told me so they were trying to get the crowd to be emotional with them if, if you look at the closing statement jacob was like i want you guys to know Every single one of you are a child of God and he loves you. And they were trying to to create this emotional appeal, which is why they were arguing against Calvinism because they're misrepresenting it. But they're trying to create this this emotional moment because their ultimate authority is emotional. It's what God told me. So that part could have been honest in terms of they're like, Hey, how could you want to worship? And and do you hear what they're saying? Not everybody's a child of God. God doesn't want to save everybody. Oh, my gosh. What kind of a God is that? Yeah. Anne Frank, Anne Frank. And, and then their God can't even uh, account for the Anne Frank problem either. Because well, ours can. Theirs can't. Because theirs knew Anne Frank would go through that and created her anyways. Right. Um, right. Ours actually puts a purpose and a, a sovereign plan behind it where Anne Frank's suffering has purpose and meaning. And right. God is glorified in that. Um, they didn't bring that up. But. That I think that part was them just appealing to the emotional argument, trying to be honest. Yeah. And I
0: think that's important to identify too, because as as powerful as emotional arguments can be, they they don't really get us to the truth. It's kind of like mm-hmm. when people bring up the problem of evil, um, yeah. emotionally, like, yeah, I'll grant you as a Christian, emotionally, yeah, that's a problem but intellectually yeah. <laughs> it's not we have answers to it right so and yeah. it's the intellectual aspect that gets us at the truth the emotional aspect kind of just clouds the discussion so that came across really yeah. strongly in how they presented uh, uh presented their case what i did appreciate about the debate was the respectfulness uh between uh i mean you guys have strong opposition you disagree obviously but there seemed to be kind of that relationship built through the hours and hours of interaction right yeah. by the time you're able yeah. to share uh, the stage together, you guys were able to have kind of a very, um, not as focused as we would have hoped, but it was a (laughs) respectful interaction. Right. Um, and that says a lot too, that says a lot too, even in the midst of, you know, perhaps you had a goal in the debate and it didn't get reached in terms of staying on topic, but the way you guys carried yourself and the Mormon, uh, gentlemen as well. Um, I think it, it was a good example of how we should be interacting with one another. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, my next question is more um, methodological now in terms of uh, presuppositional apologetics. How do you understand presuppositional apologetics in general? And what was your frame of thinking in terms of applying this to these Mormon gentlemen? What what did that look like in terms of thinking along presuppositional and biblical lines when preparing for this discussion? Because I know you guys have spoken to atheists before, right? I mean, you've spoken to Catholics. How do you go about thinking about how to apply a presuppositional approach to specifically the Mormon
2: right uh, so what, what I would say is our, our approach obviously is is fundamentally how do we know what we know is because God revealed it in his word um, and I mm-hmm. think when when you are referencing scripture you don't you don't only have the claim from Christians to say we know we know because scripture says it but you actually have the testimony of scripture affirming the same thing so you have Peter saying um, you know we witnessed what happened here, we witnessed what happened in Transfiguration, but you have a more sure word of prophecy. You have Christ saying, uh, um, he rebuking the disciples, saying, uh, slow slow are you to believe all that the prophet said. You've seen it. You see me now. But the rebuke is actually regarding them knowing what the Scripture says and not believing that. So I think we we have a a fundamental appeal to, to Scripture as far as our conviction as Christians, but we also see that in Scripture. So when we're approaching the Mormons, when they're appealing to scripture and also denying the infallibility of scripture, we say, well, you're contradicting yourself, because how do you know what's true in scripture and what's not? I I brought up the the issue of um, scripture being God breathed and they totally passed over. Like, well, what does that mean? Because according to scripture, scripture is breathed out by, by God, right? That this is the the origin and the nature of scripture. And then if God cannot lie, that means his word cannot not be true. Right? Mm -hmm. So when we are uh, appealing to Scripture, and we have others who say that they believe in Christ, who say that they believe in the God of the Bible, but at the same time are attacking the the veracity of Scripture. We say that fundamental contradiction that destroys your worldview. It can't be true and not true. Scripture must be taken wholesale, right? And the other thing I would say is um, our belief in Scripture um, and the the impossibility of the contrary. If you cannot objectively ground truth in the word of the Creator, you cannot ground truth at all. right? Truth becomes a relative principle. Now it becomes all subjective as to how you take information in and you come to whatever conclusion you want. And that's the issue that they have with uh, um, the witness of the spirit. They say, God has spoken to us. God has told us. And so when Daniel presses them on this issue and he says, okay, God told you that it was wrong to pour hot water on a baby. And another person says, it's right. God told me it's right. What can he say? All he says was, well, I'll just tell them God told me. And they'll say, yeah, God told me. And that's where the argument ends, because there is no way to apply your subjective experience and what you assume to be God speaking to you, apply that to another individual when you don't have an objective standard. Absolute truth must always be the reference point for the for the pursuit of more truth. Otherwise, uh, you're using tools to arrive at a place that you don't actually know what it is. Um, now, so would you say, what would
0: say would you say across the board from a Mormon theological perspective, that their epistemology basically just relegates to like a subjectivism. Is there a variance and and degrees within Mormonism where some people might have a more stronger epistemology that that avoids those problems, or do you think at the core all Mormons, because of their view of God and their yeah. view of revelation, are they all relegated to that that critique you just offered? I mean,
1: yeah, like it, it's either going to land on one of two grounds: either your own subjective feeling and reasoning or on joseph smith because even when when you read the book of mormon it it ends off and it says um pray pray and ask god if this book is true right that's the way the book of mormon ends it's telling you and you know if you're gonna write a lie that's how this way i'd end it too right? right like pray and ask god if this is true and people will go and pray for a feeling the the it's gonna end off in either joseph or in their heart it's, it's what God told me in my heart or it's what God told Joseph. And there's problems with both of those, right? Yeah. The Bible tells us the heart is wicked, right? Who who can know it is deceitful. If you look back at Joseph, really, y- your whole worldview is based off of did Joseph actually have a vision in a garden? Did he actually see God? It doesn't matter what happened after that. If he didn't have that, if that vision never happened, everything else is false, which is why it's built on on sinking sand, Um and so, a majority of Mormons are going to be subjective, because the, the mm-hmm. book tells them to be pray and ask God. if This is true, um, and that's the difference between I think the, the triune God of Scripture mm-hmm. and the false God of Mormonism. Is the tri- the triune God of Scripture says this is my word, this is my word, and take it in my account. Yeah, but mm-hmm. believe me, because I'm God and I'm saying this, right? And as Christians, we have to be comfortable with that answer. Yep. God said so. Now, now we can account for that. Of course, there, there's a worldview that grounds the scriptures. That when we say god says this it's the triune god who's speaking the god who it's only the triune god that can make sense of things it's not the, the god of islam or the god of mormonism because all those gods fail and they fall at a certain aspect and so um mm-hmm. so can, okay so differ.
0: so now as a presuppositionalist we've heard this so much that when i hear it my eyes just roll back and i like start drooling <laughs> from my mouth. is that bro what's your problem man Clearly, what you're saying is just simple, fallacious, circular reasoning. You're just yeah. assuming the authority that yeah. you're standing on. Um, so, And I know that came up in the conversation, maybe folks who haven't listened to the debate. Um, how do you respond as a presuppositionalist to the claim of, yeah.
2: of fallacious circularity? So, so Daniel, Daniel responds to this, I think, in one of his rebuttals. And he's like, this is a debate about ultimate authorities. And so mm-hmm. what else can we do but to appeal to our ultimate authority, to validate our ultimate authority? The mm-hmm. moment you appeal to something else, right, that's no longer your ultimate authority. And so when they come to this debate, they're like, yeah, we have five ultimate authorities. And it's like, that doesn't work. That's an impossibility. right? One has to be all ultimate a- a- amongst your the five things that you're saying. And what I think that they're doing is trying to put up a bunch of targets so that one of them couldn't be attacked. And we recognize what it is. It's personal revelation at the end of the day. Um, but they put up, they they present all of these tools, and they say, "No, we use all of these to triangulate truth." Uh, the reality is, um, knowledge, knowledge, uh, and 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 our epistemology must be grounded in an ultimate uh, in an ultimate standard, and the only way to validate that ultimate standard is by that ultimate standard. Um, there's no way to do it outside of that. So when we're appealing the scripture as the word of God, God is not. God is not relying upon some other source in order to validate his word, right? God doesn't say, believe me because of this or because of that, right? God has spoken and he says, this is true. God cannot lie. He's given us his word and it's true because it comes from God. So Mm -hmm. I I think I'm not exactly sure where that argumentation comes from. Uh, I I think what's being applied is circular reasoning in a sense of not uh, dealing with ultimate authorities where you could use that argumentation if we're talking about something and and we're not talking about ultimate authorities Then I think circular reasoning can be invalidated mm-hmm. right because there is something that you can appeal to higher But when right. in the discussion of ultimate authorities That's the only way uh, to have this discussion is to ground your ultimate authority in its own testimony So when it comes to scripture, we would point to scripture bearing marks of divinity we would point to and, and it's not to say that we can't point to evidences from there but sure. again, those evidences are going to be understood within the context of what Scripture has revealed to us. Yeah. So we could we could uh, we could expect to see. Uh, the the truthfulness of the claims of scripture manifested in church history. We could expect Mm -hmm. to see the church reacting to the word of God. We could expect to see these things because scripture is true, but we don't base entirely our our belief in scripture being true on whether or not we can see the evidences play out.
0: Sure. sure. Okay. So everyone, uh, and and here's a critique that I often hear of a presuppositional approach that saying that we have no choice to um, engage in circularity at an ultimate level doesn't make it, doesn't mean that it's a valid thing. I mean, it's like okay, yeah, at at, our, at the basis, we all have to appeal to some circularity. But then what do you have there? You have two circles, two ultimate circles, right? Fighting against each other. How do you break the tie between them and argue for the truth of your perspective?
1: How yeah. would you
0: how would you do that? So so the Mormon would say I have my yeah. whatever, whatever authority that they would appeal to, the gentleman that you were engaging, yeah. it was this yeah. personal revelation, right? Um, that's his circle. I I believe mm-hmm. it on the authority. God has revealed it to me that Joseph Smith is a prophet. And then you're saying, nope, God has spoken to us in his word. And that is the ultimate authority because God says that, you know, the Bible says that um, God could not swear by anyone higher than himself. Yep. Right. So we, yep. so we yep. swear to Abraham and swears by himself. So you have these two circles. How do yep. you break the tie and avoid mm-hmm. this kind of this ultimate kind of skepticism? And ultimate, where there's no way to escape <laughs>
1: ourselves? How do you avoid this kind of yeah. postmodern modern oh,
0: situation where there are no meta-narratives?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, one distinction that Bonson makes that I really like is, he says, you have vicious circular argumentation mm-hmm. and then you have spiral argumentation, right? So, in a spiral, you're still going in a circle, but as, as you go in that circle, you go deeper and deeper and deeper and that would be the difference between the, the Christian perspective and any other one. So, the What's going to happen when you use circular reasoning in terms of what does the Bible say? It's going to be vindicated by reality because God is a God of truth, because this is his world and we live in it. When God says something, it's going to be coherent with what his scriptures have already said. When you look at the Mormon now epistemology of circular reasoning, there's going to be somewhere in 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 their life where they're inconsistent. And that's what we were mm-hmm. pushing them is we're like, hey, you're saying these things, but you don't live that way you don't live like you actually believe it's up to the spirit because if you saw somebody hurting somebody in a way that is wrong you would step in and you would you would assert yourself as if you actually have a reason to and so mm. the when you have these two circles that you're talking about right and how do we know which one's actually right well one vindicates itself because it's truth and the other one you're going to you're going to say it it may sound nice or maybe it doesn't sound nice but there's going to be an inconsistency there's going to be a flaw and so that's where you would you point out the flaw in terms of all right, you took your argumentation, your God can't even account for the things you're saying. Yep. Mm. You're, you're saying one thing about God here, and you're saying another thing here. you see how how the triune God of scripture doesn't do that? How right. how he he governs. even one thing they said uh it completely blew our minds. They believe that their God is subjected to what they call eternal law. Mm-hmm. So mm. so God is under a law that he has to follow. Yep. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a problem. That's it. If, if that's yeah. the God you're going to appeal to, that's your circular argumentation. And yet you're telling us that he's under a law. Mm. They even told us that God could hypothetically sin and cease to become God. Yep. <laughs> you, you don't have that with the triune God because right. he's not subjected to anything. Yep. And so mm-hmm. um, I think spiral argumentation and circular argumentation can be two different things. Yeah.
0: Very good. Yeah, I think there's an important distinction to be made between the idea of just making a bare authority claim. We are making an authority claim as Christians, and everyone else is making an authority claim, whether they acknowledge it or not. But I think the difference is that our authority claim, our circle, as Bonson said, actually saves knowledge it saves intelligible experience Mm -hmm. it saves science it saves induction uh and the other circles are destructive to those things in which i think you guys beautifully pointed that out when you internally critiqued their position um all right excellent very good now now apart from the authority so and of course it's it's good to start there because that's the foundation so everything else is built on that but what are some other routes a believer can take in engaging a mormon in terms of some of their specific doctrines um so for example you know Uh, their, their, their false view of Jesus. Would you engage their false views of Jesus right away? Or would you always go and appeal to that? uh, The source of authority issue. Is there a time to start one place over the other? Uh, How do you guys approach that?
2: Yeah, I I think, I think we, we often would engage um, with their, with their conception of Christ because that's common ground that they're going to recognize. They would say they believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. Right. If we if we start with Scripture being the ultimate authority, they won't believe that, and so we're going to be dealing with apologetics from the very beginning. But if we start with Christ and we start with common ground, they they say they recognize Christ as Lord and Savior, and so do we. Then we can go to go to the text regarding the nature of Christ right away, um, and 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 when we do this, um, it, immediately we point out to them um, the the different in, the difference in the nature of Christ. Uh, from a biblical worldview as far as and, and you know in comparison with the mormon worldview and, and daniel spoke about this a little bit earlier um Christ ontologically is different right he's different than creation and, and uh, fundamentally when you have a uh, creator and creation in that sense ontologically there's only two categories right and christ is in, in, in the category of creator while everything else is in the category of creation. And scripture draws a hard distinction there. There is no way to miss that unless you're purposely rejecting it. So Mm -hmm. again, you would take John 1, you would take them to Colossians, you would take them to Christ saying in John 8 and 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So Christ is making, not only making the distinction about his nature as God, but he's saying, unless you believe that I'm the God of the Old Testament, that I am creator God, you actually can't be saved. So when we say, uh, no, it's not just about believing Jesus, but the right Jesus. We're making that we're making that claim from Scripture. These are Christ's words that says, "Unless you get me right, unless you know who I am, you're going to die in your sins." All right. So I think we can we can address um, from from that perspective right away, and I think it's a good method to go because they would generally say they would say that they believe in Christ as Lord uh, and mm-hmm.
1: I think j- just to add to that, um, like there, I, I probably use four different uh arguments to go to either joseph smith i'll show them the problems with joseph smith Mm -hmm. there's great books you can buy one called where does it say that and it gives you all his false prophecies all his sermons all that stuff the person of christ the gospel the gospel and uh monotheism right but the point is is when i'm taking a mormon through those things i'm trying to to show them their need for actual salvation because they believe they're saved yeah. They say, I'm a Christian. I'm with yeah. you. We're on the same team. And so they, they've actually, they've deceived themselves into thinking that Christ, this gospel, this church can save me. And so I'm not always showing up with like, hey, these are ultimate authorities and mine is right, yours is wrong. It's, hey, what, what do you believe about Christ? Uh, we were just to, they had a like an Easter pageant here for mm-hmm. almost two weeks. It was a big Easter play, thousands and thousands of Mormons. And I would constantly say, hey, like this play, in terms of what it represents, is beautiful. The idea of Jesus coming and dying for his people, it's, it's a beautiful message. But our concern is, is that this message has been distorted in your church, that you guys don't actually have Jesus dying on the cross for you because of what your church says about X, Y, and Z. And so there's a number of routes you can take them. If you just show a Mormon uh, the false prophecies of Joseph Smith, that that will and they've never read it maybe, that'll like, It'll cause them to be like, whoa, like I've never thought about that. Or you, you just take them through the the flaws in their worldview that'll cause a Mormon to say, oh, maybe I am lost. Maybe, maybe maybe, I am in need of salvation. That's where we would come in and say, hey, look, this is the point of the gospel. This is the point mm. of the, This is why you have to leave this church because this church would say things um, like, there's only one true church. And if you're not part of the one true church, then you're part of the church of the devil. It's in 1 uh, Nephi 14. Mm. Okay. So I, I, would, I would ask them, do you believe I'm a part of the church? Do you, I'm, I'm a part of the church of the devil. And if they're going to be consistent, they would have to say, yeah, but they're, they're such nice people. They don't want <laughs> to say, yeah. say it, yeah. So they're like, no, you're not a part of the church of the devil. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so then I'm a part of the one true church. And they're like, ah, oh, no, no, no. And so it causes them to see I don't have ground to stand on. And so you don't always have to do that by arguing ultimate authority. You can point them to Christ, to monotheism, to the gospel, to Joseph mm-hmm. Smith. There's different areas you can go to to say, hey, look, look, look at where you're standing. Look, look at your sinking sand. You actually need salvation. I care about you. Um and so you can go that route too.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very good. Now you did mention a book real quick and I didn't catch. You said it really fast. You said uh it's called, was a where does it where does it say that? It's probably like ten dollars, I think. Maybe. Um you mm-hmm. can look it up on Google. Just type in where does it say that? Yeah. Um it is it it is photocopies. Of mormon documents so it is Excellent. sermons sections of, of of scripture by the mormon prophets what they're saying you'll see brigham young teaching adam god theory that, oh. adam, that adam is god yep um, okay i see it here see- so
0: where does it say that photo reprints that expose uh mormon deceptions and christian witnessing resource i'm gonna i'm actually there gonna put go. that yeah. in the um let me see here i'm gonna put that in the uh, chat, so people can take a look at that. Um, and if you're, Mormon, Mormon if you're a Mormon, if you're a Mormon, take a look at it. I mean, yes, it's it's yeah. material that a Christian would use to witness to a Mormon. But look at the documentation. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to post the link there in the comments there, and so um, hopefully, folks will find that useful. Now, what are some other resources? Uh, how would you encourage Christians to equip themselves to engage? Uh, Mormons. I mean, is, is it you know, what role does studying theology play in all this? What what type of scriptures should uh, a Christian be looking to memorize and all these sorts of things? How would you uh, encourage folks to get equipped to engage uh, Mormons in a meaningful way?
2: Right. I would think ultimate, um, ultimately, um, it, it scripture and our and our our study of scripture and our, us being grounded in our own theology. And, and understanding the nature of scripture, understanding uh, salvation by grace alone through faith, uh, having a, a, a good, comprehensive understanding of what you believe is going to be um, preeminent in your defense of the faith and also uh, for you to be able to actually throw down the strongholds of a false belief system. right? And then further study, um, I think Apologia and Alpha and Omega Ministries have been really gold mines when it comes to um, when it comes to evangelism and apologetics uh, regarding uh mormon church um and then there's and then there's there's various books out there um i know pastor james is a book who to a mormon elder he actually has a on Alpha and Omega ministries it's a hundred verses to memorize uh, regarding mm-hmm. outreach uh to mormons so sure. that, that's an actual web page and he goes through all of these verses so says, yeah um well
1: the the ones and you can like, as a Christian, you can use your own Christian liberty and say, hey, like, what do I want to focus on more? I think monotheism is a great one. So, any of the Isaiah 43 through really 47, um, I like to focus on, because easy to memorize, John 1, Hebrews 1, and Colossians 1. Oh, really? Those are all texts uh, appealing to the deity of Jesus, that he's the eternal creator, and they're clear. And what I like to point out to Mormons is, okay, in John 1, you have Jesus creating all things. If anything was made, it was made by Him. And then in John ten, you have the Good Shepherd, mm-hmm. the one who lays His life down for the sheep, the one who calls His sheep. And if you give up Jesus in John one, you don't get Jesus in John ten, okay. right? And in Colossians one, you have the beautiful exposition of Paul. And then in Colossians two, it's one of my favorite verses of all the Bible. It says that He He takes our record of debt and He nails it to the cross. Right. Well, you don't get that benefit in Colossians, too, if you've given him up in chapter one. Right. And the same thing with Hebrews in the book of Hebrews it says said that he's he's made a purification for sins, that he is the great and high priest. But yeah. if you have given him up in Hebrews chapter one, then you don't get those benefits. So I, I tell people whenever they ask me, John one, Hebrews one and Colossians one. Get, get familiar with them. Get familiar with the book. Yeah. Um, and take people to those passages and, and let them wrestle with them. Right,
2: and one, one other thing to add to that, just regarding scripture, obviously, and, and this is kind of our worldview, um, and, and what we present is, again, the nature of scripture. Second um, Timothy 3.16, we see uh, that scripture is God breathed. And so this is the, the ultimate um, source, and this is the reliable truth that's given to us from God. And if we can't trust that, then we can't trust anything. So the Mormon would say, oh, they do believe that scripture is influenced by God. They do believe scripture in some sense is from God, but they believe that their prophets could err, right? They believe that um, uh, a men the moment that man becomes involved in any enterprise, it's therefore corrupted and therefore not infallible. Uh, well, the, the 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 rebuttal to that, or the rebuke of that would be, well, the same goes for your prophets, right? But that whole concept which you just introduced is a logical conclusion that you've come to by By uh, dealing with uh, the the nature of man and saying, well, yeah, man is fallible and therefore everything that man deals with is fallible. Well, Mm -hmm. scripture denies that entirely. Right. And so now we have your word versus scripture. Right. And how do we know what's true about that? Right. So we would take God's word. um, The scriptures God breathed and and we hold to that. I would say get very familiar with that verse, understand the nature of scripture and the purpose of scripture um, so that you're able to defend scripture.
0: Mm, very good. Now, um, I think it was Daniel. You mentioned something about uh, focusing on specific areas of theology that one might find useful in engaging Mormons. Um, and you mentioned monotheism. Now, um, when I posted my uh, my post on Facebook, and I made that comment about uh, Mormonism, let me pull it up here real quick. Uh, and a friend of mine who is a Mormon, um, she had uh, taken issue with what I had said. I won't mention her name. Uh, She's a sweet... I mean, I guess she's a woman now. I've known her her since a long time ago. Uh, And she um, made some comments here, and I want you guys maybe to to address it. So, I said that uh, Mormonism, with its doctrine of a limited and finite god and gods, lacks the capacity to account for the universal conceptual laws of logic, as the deities that exist within Mormonism exist within a broader and more fundamental metaphysical context of impersonality. The God of Mormonism is not the God of scripture who is described as the one whose authority is so great. There is nothing or no one greater than him to swear by. Uh, Hebrews 6, 13. The God of Mormonism on the other, on the other hand, stands under the greater authority of the impersonal, eternal natural law, which governs intelligences. And uh, this individual had messaged me and I had asked uh, because there was she expressed that perhaps I was misunderstanding Mormonism. Um, And so I I asked her a few questions to help me get a gauge as to whether my criticism and my quote still applies to her flavor of Mormonism. And so I asked Mm. her if she was, if there was more than one God. All right. Do you believe believe or you deny the existence of many gods? And she responded, and I won't mention her name just because, uh, you know, obviously I don't share private messages with people, but uh, she was so kind to share and answer some questions here. Her Her answer to my first question was, There is only one God, our heavenly father. And then she quotes the first commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. This does not claim existence of there being any other gods. It does refer to people putting other things, focus, higher powers as being in existence and of more important than God, our heavenly father, Uh, as in mixed priorities and thoughts of separate beings to rule, such as the Greek gods, mythical gods. In other words, she's denying um, that there exist other gods now. Yeah. I'm not a scholar in Mormonism but I've studied Mormonism <laughs> and I yes, have never yeah. heard a Mormon proclaim monotheism. Now I have heard them say we worship one god. Yeah. We worship the God of right. this world. Yes. But they do acknowledge according to their authoritative sources the existence of other gods. So I'm confused. I want to so make sure the- I'm I, am I right to be confused yes. or is there yes, something yes of mormonism that is monotheistic
1: no so he, here's the problem one usually you'll hear them say things like there's one god of this earth mm. the problem is the bible doesn't say that the bible says there's one god period that god doesn't even know of any other gods there's none before him none after him so the bible is clear when they try to make that distinction we you, you just point them to scripture and say that's not what the scriptures say um but i've actually had a couple mormons tell me that me too and i think the reason they're doing it is because they understand the clarity of monotheism in the scriptures but here's where the here's where the problem comes in for them we believe in monotheism with the triune god they believe if they're going to claim that form of monotheism it's just heavenly father then you ask them is jesus god is the holy spirit god they will usually have to say yes and if they say no then you tell them okay so someone other than god died on that cross and paid for your sins, uh, that's not sufficient. Right. So I, I've actually had at the Mormon temple this this past week. They're like, "Yeah, one God." And I was like, "Okay, so the Father's God." They're like, "Yeah, what about Jesus?" Well, no, he's kind of he's kind of like he's kind of like God, but he's the offspring. Okay, so then the person who died on the cross with you wasn't God. He can't pay for your sins. Right. And so um, the, the the big hole when they try to adopt this form of monotheism because they don't adopt it how the Bible teaches it, where it's the triune God they try to take mm-hmm. pieces of it because the bible is clear on monotheism but they don't go all the way and they should they should go all the way and so so it, i
0: think just real quick so i can clarify so all mormons which i was corrected they the person said you know they shouldn't be called mormons they should be called the church of of uh, jesus christ of latter day saints so she made a distinction there which i wasn't yeah. aware again i i know mormonism and i know how to, how to have conversations and the questions to ask and, you know, I do apologetics. That's what I do. Uh, but yeah, I wanted yeah. to be respectful to my possible ignorance of some broader branch of Mormonism or Latter-day Saints that I was unaware of. And so I wanted to hear what this person had to say. Is there some branch of Mormonism that uh, that is more in line with what this this
1: uh, young woman was? No. Uh, I've, to- I've never heard of a branch and, and I always ask them, okay, so do you disagree with Joseph? Because Joseph didn't believe right. Us. That's what's important. Joseph, right. and you can take him... To all of Joseph, his words, the, the King followed discourse, where he says that that God had a God before Him, yeah. that we've mm-hmm. imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. He says, "I'm going to refute that idea. You have to learn to become God yourselves one day." Sure. So, if a Mormon, there's no branch of Mormonism that teaches it, at least not yet. No. Uh, Mormonism is very, very slippery. So, they they may get there one day. Right. Uh, not there yet, but. There's no, there's no branch, but then you can ask them. Your own profit doesn't teach that. Why are you claiming that? And I think it's them trying to dodge, dodge bullets. And, is what it is?
2: And so, so what you're dealing, which yeah, what you're dealing with is synchronisation. Uh, what what uh, something that we often talk about here is that. Um, you have to convert them to mormonism before you actually start to preach them before you try to save them from mormonism you have to remind them what mormonism is there's a so like this is might this might be what you're talking about there's a new age of Mormon. there's like a postmodern uh, mormonism which is totally different from a lot of the the claims uh, the absolute truth claims that that, that the order mormonism would make they're not making those claims anymore. And there's also a synchronization. So many of the people out at the temple when we went, they they didn't know the difference. Like, so I would go and ask them, I would say, hey, we're Christians from a local church. Do you know why we're here? And they wouldn't know why, right? They don't understand the separation between our theology and their theology. And so when we say we, we believe in one God, yeah, yeah, we believe in one God too. They're not aware of what Mormonism teaches, right? As far as what is taught by the prophets from the beginning. And they're also not aware of what we believe. Most of the... Most of them, uh, the first time they were introduced to Christ was from the Book of Mormon, not from Scripture. And so, so much of the process of of evangelization with Mormons is teaching them what you believe accurately, what we believe, and also reminding them of what Mormonism taught from the beginning. Because what you're saying about, about that lady, she's contradicting her prophets. None of the prophets teach that. They all teach a plurality of gods. So I would say, if you believe in one God, you should, Daniel says this all the time, you should be on our side. Because we teach one God. We teach the mm. triune God of Scripture. You guys don't believe that. Okay. So, what, where, uh,
0: when you quoted that passage from Joseph Smith, what reference is that? Do you remember the reference? Maybe, yeah. If, if a person a, actually watches this video, that she can check it out for herself and maybe kind of, uh,
1: you know, yeah. So it's the King, and I actually have it. This would be for any Christians who who want to get involved in this type of ministry. You can actually go on the Latter Day Saint Church website. So this is their publication. So that. They won't try to say, "Hey, that's not what we believe." And you can look up; it's called Jesus uh, Church of Jesus Christ org. And on that website, you can go to the King Follett discourse, and that's where Joseph is giving a, a sermon at, at at a funeral. And he that's where the reference comes. He says, uh, "I'm going to tell you how God came to become God," and then he gives the we have imagined and supposed. So if you just go to Church of Jesus Christ org, you type in King Follett. The, and it'll it'll come up.
0: Mm. All right. Excellent. Um, there's also for folks I'm sure folks who know about this, but carm.org, Christian Apologetics Research yeah. Ministry with mm-hmm. Matt Slick. Matt's a good friend of mine. He's got a huge <laughs> apologetics website and there's a giant section on Mormonism and uh, the references in their own publications as well. So folks might find that um, useful if they don't know about it already. Uh, well, with that said, let's move to some uh, listener questions. Um, and I just want to thank you guys. You guys have been doing an excellent job and I've been really enjoying this, uh, this conversation and Daniel, bro, I, that sweater is nice, bro. I've been looking at it. You've been talking about
1: Mormonism. I'm like, bro, dude, where did you get that? I,
0: my guys? <laughs> I appreciate
1: it. So I have a, I have a, I have a bomb wife who actually got me this sweater. Um, I, I love Star Wars, so
2: we're talking
0: okay. off camera about
1: some some um, some disagreements. Oscar, your shirt I is yet.
0: nice too, bro. Your shirt is nice too.
1: <laughs> it's all good. I this is better.
0: I don't got muscles to flex though, so I need you know, I need to flutter. I need to cover up, you know what I'm saying? So all right, no, so I, I appreciate it brother. All right, no worries, no worries. All right, so let's see here. Let's go through okay, so um Haley uh apologize if I can't pronounce your last name. Is it Luha? I guess Luja, Luha. Um, Haley says, have you ever done apologetics with Catholics? And perhaps you can kind of tell us in answering that, is there a similarity with how you approach a Catholic and a Mormon?
2: I, I think the similarity would come. Yes, we, we, not as much. They're not on the street as much, um, but yeah, we, we walk in conversation with any and everybody. Like, I think that's a good thing about uh, evangelism and apologetics on the street Is that it's going to force you to touch up in all of these areas because you never know who you're going to run into Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. if you're if you're not equipped or not prepared in a certain area uh, you're going to be challenged and that can maybe not be uh, the best experience but um i think the similarities would be um this the the catholics wouldn't hold to scripture um as the ultimate authority they would say it is a a tradition along with uh, the oral tradition and that these things we would say fundamentally um uh, their tradition or the tradition of the church destroys scripture as a ultimate authority. And therefore, their church becomes the ultimate authority. When you get to talking about infallibility of the Pope and uh, basically an exegetical tradition that you must hold to um, uh, regarding how you understand scripture, uh, much of their argumentation of the Mormons that we debated, much of their argumentation sounded Catholic as far as how they challenged our belief in scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The answer, yes, we have done some, not as much as we would like, though.
1: And my, um, some of my family is Catholic, so I'm, I'm Mexican, just in case you guys can't tell. And a lot of Hispanics tend to be sure. uh, Catholic, so I have family who's, who's Catholic, and it'll come up sometimes. And when, especially when someone in the family dies, right? And now there's all these uh, weird, weird <laughs> rituals happening, and, and talk about purgatory. And so I use that as an entrance to say. The, the, the two main disagreements I think that I would have with Roman Catholicism is uh, the authority of Scripture, which he already talked on, and then even being saved by grace alone. They, they, they have all these sacraments and things you need to do that will actually help justify you in front of God, yep. um, that you can fall in and out of salvation. And so those are two routes where I'm like, hey, if, if you even believe in the Scriptures a little bit, the Scriptures don't teach what the Roman Catholic Church is saying. Yep. Um, and why do you believe that so-and-so is in purgatory right now? Like, that's, that's not a biblical concept. So um, there, there's some similarities uh, just because anytime you're dealing with somebody who you disagree with, usually it's going to start at the root with, with the scriptures and the yep. Bible, and so they disagree with it. The Catholics have to do it. They'll say the magisterium, the pope, yep. look at that as to define what scripture is. And so, How do you know
2: what you know is always the ultimate question. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely um and by the way the us protestants who hold the solo scriptura need to answer that question too since that is a common um common attack upon um protestantism is solo scriptura how do you know that that's true that's not you know you don't get the you know the golden index of the books of the bible, <laughs> in the bible. so uh, maybe, maybe we can have you back on to talk about solo scriptura i'd love to talk about that as well we, we'd love that yeah, that'd be great yeah, yeah uh, well i'm really enjoying this conversation and um, I would love to, I mean, we're not done just yet, but I would love to have you guys
1: back on if you if you would um be okay oh, with that. Yeah. All right. We yeah. got yeah. we it's got you on camera saying,
0: yeah. Huh? What was that? <laughs> I said,
1: Solo Sora sounds great. That's one thing that um recently just has been uh it's been more like it's been more I don't know if it's a passion is the right way to say it, but I've just loved it more. And and you're right, we do need to have answers. What books, why are they in there? uh, the, the, obviously the term Sola Scriptura is not used in scripture, sure. but where does that idea come from? That's a scripture of yeah. the highest authority. So it's essential.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, and,
0: um, I'm also I'll throw this out there. I'm actually going to, we haven't had set a date, but I'm actually going to be having, uh, Luke, uh, uh, right. is he one of the pastors there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be you. having Luke on in the future to talk about the importance of, um, Uh, Luke the Bear, if people are familiar with with the name there. Um, We'll be talking about the importance of doing apologetics within the context of the local church. Um, So that's going to be super interesting. So we don't have a date yet, but um, he's confirmed with me. We'll we'll set that up in the future. And hopefully one day I'll get Jeff on. I know he's a super busy guy, but we'll see what happens. Um, All right. So we have a comment here. That i want you guys to speak to this is from arthur Baer. the right interpretation is using scripture to interpret scripture i agree with that and why don't you guys unpack what that means and why that's important uh what does it mean to interpret scripture in light of scripture
2: so, so scripture um what, what we understand is that scripture has an author intended meaning an author intended interpretation and so there's ways to derive at this right uh, uh hermeneutical uh, practices to derive at what is true uh, dealing with uh, context, dealing with who's speaking, dealing with audience, right? Um, but ultimately, um, if scripture, if scripture is not interpreted within the confines uh, and context of scripture, you get to. Uh, you can, you can begin to allegorize scripture and meanings can kind of be floating in the air. So there must be something that grounds meaning. If all of scripture is God-breathed, if it's not just Sola Scriptura, but total scriptura, all of it's God-breathed, that means that gives us the ability to cross reference and come to understandings of things maybe that are less clear from things that are more clear. But all of it is the word of God and therefore it is all reliable and all infallibly true. And so our conclusions must rest there. Uh, there are many issues uh, within uh, Protestantism and evangelicalism where there are differences of opinions and different interpretations, right? That doesn't mean that someone isn't right. It just means there yeah. isn't a consensus on it, and that's not what we're claiming. But on the essential truths, and this is what we kept pressing during the debate, the essential truths can be known from Scripture. The essential truths are held um, um, throughout the church, right? We, we recognize these things. We're Reformed Baptists. There's Presbyterians. We have issues of covenant theology and administration of ordinances, things like that. But as far as the essential truths, uh, nature of scripture, the triune of God, salvation by grace alone, um, those things we can know uh, infallibly because they're spoken clearly in scripture. So. Yeah.
1: And I mean, it just it comes to the idea of hermeneutics, um, recognizing that it is all of scripture, that when whoever wrote Hebrews wrote Hebrews, they had a theology behind them. Right. They were opinions of the Old Testament. you have never Read the Old Testament. You try to go to Hebrews. Uh, good luck, right? You I come up. You come up with some whack theology. Right. Um, so the idea is there's a collective. There is a collective message in all of Scripture that it's cohesive. That it, that it's it's one message. Of course, uh, different authors have different intents and different purposes and writing at different times, different audiences. All that is important to help recognize uh, what the Scriptures are saying. But you use all of God's Word um, to help. In light, or to help interpret other passages. Sure,
0: right. yeah. excellent, very good. Uh, the sire asks, "Who do you think is the best Mormon apologist?" So, in terms of Mormons defending Mormonism, uh, <laughs> who do you think is the best representative, best defender of Mormonism? In as much as they, there are people who try to defend their position, and they do it more systematically, and they try to be more conscious and consistent in the way sure. they do it. Um, so, so for example, a scholar. Or a theologically informed Mormon is probably going to have more refined uh, answers than, say, generic Mormon you see on the street. So, is there anyone that sticks out in in your mind as to like, yeah, we disagree with him, but he he kind of knows his stuff and he can give a a Christian pretty good challenge unless you really know your stuff very well.
1: Sure, Um, Alma Alma Arred, Pastor James's debate or. They've had, they've had discussions. they had yeah, they had discussions that are recorded on YouTube. Uh, they haven't okay. had official debates. I think what's his uh, name? Uh, Mormon, James Alma Red.
2: You can okay, you you, Alma can,
1: you can you can I know it's, it's hard to spell. You, you can type up uh, uh, James White debate uh, Mormonism. It'll be one of the ones that come up. kwaku L. That's not he's not a good representative yeah. of Mormonism. But <laughs> his name's Alma Alred. He's he's in Utah. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's an older gentleman. Uh, he's Theologically sharp what he believes in. Like he can at least say, Hey, this is what I believe, this is what I don't believe. He knows the history of the church. Um, him and James have been talking for years, actually. So he's uh he he's one of them for sure. I think I think
2: Alma, um Alma, as far as like best, that's a hard thing to say because obviously we do disagree with it. But I think as far as his comprehensive knowledge of what Mormonism is, Mm -hmm. um and trying to be consistent within that framework. Then sure. I would say he's he's probably the best guy that we've seen. Okay. Yeah.
0: And and Kwaku Kwaku L uh is pretty popular. Uh, although he's yeah. pro- not the best representative. What what what's the deal with him? Why why do you think uh you know, why do you think he's not a good representative because a lot of people seem to to think of him in terms of like someone who's out there engaging Protestants and things like that.
1: Yeah. Well, he, he has that personality for sure. He's, sure. he's out there and I, mm-hmm. I give him credit for that. The fact that he's willing to step in to those places and have those debates, uh, that's just admirable that you're willing to do that. But the problem is, is he'll say things that your prophets don't say, uh, or you know, that's just not historically true. He'll say things. It, uh, when I've seen him debate, I've seen him um, not really concerned with truth more of i'm here to kind of make a stand and to show myself and to say things that sound nice but you just do a little bit of research and you're like that's not even credible why are you Mm. believing those things why are you saying those things and teaching them as if they're mormon doctrine so he's just um mormons themselves would have problems with him
0: okay all right um, Arthur Baer has another question. Could you guys discuss the Mormon view of repentance? From what I understand, they also have a different view of repentance, among other things. Thanks.
2: Uh, so one thing here is essentially they're universalists. Um, essentially, they, they believe that Christ, uh, his death will start in Gethsemane, that, that the atonement covers everyone. right? There's there's three levels of heaven, right? three levels of exaltation. This is funny didn't mention this earlier, but when, when you said uh, the, the, the lady that you know, she says, we believe in one God. Well, one one central theme in Mormonism um, is the reality of exaltation. The whole process is to become a God. So that, mm-hmm. that's another area to, to kind of question her in. is like, that's a central theme. When Joseph Smith is saying that, he's saying you must, become, you must learn to become gods, like all gods before you. So that's interesting. But um, um, essentially they're universalists. They do have a concept of hell, which is like outer darkness. Which I think not a lot of people go there. I think like apostate Mormons go there, and I'm not sure if anyone <laughs> else does. But um, essentially, they're universalists, and even for us, they would say we would go to the lesser kingdom. So the concept of repentance cannot be in any way, shape, or form um, uh, represent that which is in scripture, because essentially all sins are covered. It's just what level of exaltation, what kingdom you enter in after, and that has to do with your works, right? Your your acts in the temple, things like that.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, D. Otero says, "Can a valid argument be made against Mormonism to point out the lack of archaeological and historical evidence with regards to the story told in the Book of Mormon?"
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The the, the claims made about um, that Joseph makes about Jesus and the Americas and all this stuff—it's just not historically true. And you can tell Joseph was just making things up on the fly. Um, you, we, we can go back and, and look at these things. So the way that argument would be valid is if you're talking to a Mormon and you're saying, hey, is this the prophet that you really want to follow, the prophet that you want to ground all your beliefs in? Like, like we said earlier, that the idea is if his vision in the garden is true, then everything else is true. But if it's false, then it's not. And so you can look at things like the character of Joseph Smith, how he was arrested. Uh, he was known by people in his community as not a good person. People, they would say he was a deceiver. He would tell good stories, but they were just, they were fake. And you see that played out in his theology when he makes things up that there's no evidence for these things. Um, and it's, it's cool that as Christians, we can actually look at evidence and say, oh, we found all these biblical cities Right. Right. Um, we, we, we found all these evidences that the Bible said this was the case. And we go and we do studies and we dig archaeology and we're like, oh, it was true. Right. But not, not that we needed it, but it points to something to say, hey, the fact that Joseph was making these claims and none of them can be justified right. should concern you.
2: Right. So, so we would hold to scripture as true um, based upon God's word. But because it's true, it's manifested in reality. It's manifested in history. It's manifested um, in the history of the church, uh, archeological history, all of those things. But when you're dealing with Mormonism, um, j- just one example is, is uh, the main tradition edition uh, of scripture. You don't have anything even remotely like that with Mormonism. The evidence of the, of the, of the first vision would be where the old tablets at, the Moroni took them, right? So there is no evidence. All we, all, you have to rest all of your, your belief on Joseph and his character and it asks not whether or not he's telling the truth. Then you have these gold plates that are massive. It's like, could, even, could someone even carry those things? Like, there's so many problems there that I, I don't see Mormons often going. They don't often go that route uh, when they're trying to validate their belief in Scripture. That's why I think it's much more of a personal revelation and less that has anything to do with archaeology. Because I, I think that's very hard to defend that for them.
1: And real yeah. quick, real quick, I know we're going along this question. But just throwing that, we're presuppositionless, so you can use this argument but you have to know that they also have presuppositions even if they don't acknowledge them so if you're talking to a mormon and you bring this up they're gonna interpret all the evidence or lack of evidence in light of their presupposition so uh this could be something good to point out but you have to just be aware that this may not be a problem for everybody because somebody's gonna say that's fine even if it's not there i'm presupposing that what joseph said was true that like he's right. actually a prophet from God. He restored the gospel. And so I don't care about the lack of evidence. The Duns- so. believer
2: doesn't have a problem with inconsistencies. Yeah. Well, you just said, Daniel,
0: in passing, you said, well, you know, can someone even uh, carry those tablets? Well, I mean, if a Mormon wants to say, he's like, well, God could empower him to carry them. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you if can, to do that. I mean, if that's his presupposition, they could take that and interpret in light of the presupposition. So I think that's why it's important to really attack at that foundational level. Yeah. Um, and when we say attacking, I mean, if a Mormon's watching, we we don't mean it in kind of a, a pejorative sense. I mean, we love Mormons. We want them to hear the true gospel. Yeah. Um, you know, they think we're wrong. We think they're wrong. Let's come together and have a conversation about it, right? It's not that we yeah. hate Mormons, but we 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 disagree with the theology, and we think there are important issues to address. So uh, that's really the spirit with which we're approaching uh, approaching these issues. Um, Marlon Wilson has a question here. What are you guys? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I don't know if I should take this question because uh, <laughs> Marlin is misbehaving. Uh, Marlin, <laughs> let's, put up, let's, put up, let's put up Marlin's other comment. Okay, I hope he's watching right now. This is he, he posted this a little while ago. This is in reference to Daniel's legit awesome sweater. <laughs> Look what he says here. No, that is sweater is ugly, bro. Come <laughs>
2: oh, on,
0: man. Oh, that is man. not a so good sweater.
1: Oh, that's man. not right he's, he's right. missing out he doesn't understand
0: that's heresy bro that's heresy that that is, is.
1: <laughs> he's falling on dangerous territory
0: that's, that's right um, okay, now we got to preach the gospel to Marlon now because. Oh, yeah.
1: God, okay. <laughs> it. All right, here's, here's we, his can do it, we can do it by watching Star Wars because right. Star Wars is full of gospel uh, parallels, right? Parallels, yeah. <laughs> the chosen <laughs> one We've being got redeemed. The got the charismatic gifts.
0: Got the charismatic
1: We can make room front. for it.
0: That's what's up right there. Okay, Marlon says, What are you guys' thoughts on Mormonism and justice? Is the God of Mormonism mm-hmm. a God of justice? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I think the God of Mormonism is uh, arbitrary, right? It's entirely arbitrary, and and the reason why I would say that is because our God is the very standard of justice, right? So, so He doesn't appeal to something outside of Himself to derive at what is just and what is unjust. Well, their God uh, it exists within a order where eternal law is above Him. So, mm. when I say he, he, the God is is arbitrary, I'm, how? So the question is where it comes down to if, if your God is uh, must abide by a standard and you're saying he has the ability to sin, right That's what they would say He has the ability of sin by nature, your God is not infallible right He can make mistakes, he can sin right And therefore I think that that's a God that's untrustworthy. Um, I don't think that we can trust his sense of justice because he's not the standard of justice. They say, well if he sin, um, if he sin, he would cease to be God if, if your God was ceased to be God because of his capability of sinning, I say that's not a God to trust. I do not think you can trust what he determines to be just or unjust because he could be lying, and you've already admitted that. right? We believe in the justice of our God because he is the very standard of justice.
1: All right. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah how do you know the God, that God is good? Because he says so? Right. If he's, yeah. if he's able to sin, then how do you know he's not lying and being
1: deceptive? That's a great, that's a that, great point. That's one of the big problems that I, I hope people are— catching is one of the big differences between us and mormons is we make a creator creation distinction that they would not make the mormons that we debated told us this uh when we did a podcast mm. they believe they're ontologically the same as god right now yeah, right there, there, there's not a, a creator creation distinction so when we say god is holy we mean something completely different than they mean when they say god is holy when they Absolutely. say god is holy they mean god is like me he's just better He's, he's yeah he, he's just exalted. when we say God is holy, we mean he's completely other. He's different and this is why justice derives itself from the Triune God. This is why God as creator defines what is justice and you have the psalmist who says all your all your statutes are right and just. It's because he's he's God. He's the eternal God. and so they don't they don't make that same distinction so their, their God wouldn't be able to be just the way the Triune God is.
2: At most, you can hope that he's just, but you wouldn't infallibly know that he's just.
0: Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Here's the last question from Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob says, hey, Eli, question for the guys. I have a Mormon father-in-law who is fairly postmodern, but very culturally Mormon. Uh, he thinks we're all the same. What is some good food for thought for him?
1: Go ahead. Yeah. Um you could point him to the words of Joseph Smith himself. So look up the first vision. Um, and in the first vision, Joseph, I'm going to summarize it. He's he's praying, he's asking God, which church should I join? And apparently, according to Joseph, God told him to join none of them, that their creeds are abomination, that all their, prof- their professors are corrupt. Um, and you have to tell your father in law that would include Christians. Like if I was alive in Joseph's time, that would be me Yep, because I believe the same things they believe. So in terms of us all being the same, point your father-in-law to say, Joseph didn't even believe that. This is why in 1 Nephi 14, it says there are only two churches. There's only two. There's the true church. And if you don't belong to the true church, you're a part of the church of the devil. So you can point him to that and say, you know, your prophets have taught historically that because I don't belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, I'm not part of the true church. Yep. So the question is not, is there a difference between us? The question is, what is the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, and and take your father in law to passages um, about Jesus being the the creator of all things. That's gonna be mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna be a key one. Um, and and tell your father in law, say, hey, go ask your bishop, did Jesus create Lucifer? Mm-hmm. And then tell your father in law to read John one. Hebrews one and Colossians one, and how does he reconcile that? And let him let him wrestle with the scriptures. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. That's that's what my advice would be. And just to add to that, really quick, I think I think what what Daniel was saying here
2: is, so so when we were when we were um, putting this debate together, um, there was something interesting happened when we created the flyer. We put Christians and do we put Christians Mormons? Mormon yeah, on, we the, on the flyer. And and we get so much flack for that. We get so much flack for that from the Mormon from the Mormon community, right? Mm-hmm. And what's funny about that is that distinction was first made by Joseph Smith, right? He made that distinction uh-huh. distinction. He he separated his branch of what you, we wouldn't call it Christianity, but his, uh, the the restoration of the gospel, he purposely separated that from the rest of Christianity. So why are we being more faithful to your your prophet in that sense than you are? He said that and we're just saying, yeah, you're right. Right. There's a distinction. We recognize that you guys are different from us, but now in this postmodern culture, it's all about synchronism. It's all, Mm. we're all the same, we're all Christians. Why are we fighting? Why don't we unite? There is no, there is no uniting. Because fundamentally, we believe two different things. We believe in two different Jesus. We believe in two different canons. We believe the nature of God is different. So there is nowhere to unite, right? So, so as, far as, as far as these things uh, being the same or us all being the same, that couldn't be further from the truth on our side as well as on their side.
1: Yeah, right. And, and Dr. Bob, you can also, you can yeah, also ask ahead. your father-in-law, um, ask him, is, is your baptism and is your marriage valid even though it wasn't sealed in the temple? And, and the Mormons will say, without the, proper, without the proper priesthood, your marriage isn't valid. You're not your, married. Your baptism, not married. you're not married, yeah. and your baptism isn't valid either, because yeah. you need the, the proper priesthood, which is what Joseph was teaching, the restoration, we have the priesthood again. Um, so that could be another helpful question to ask your father-in-law, or have your father-in-law ask a leader in the church. Would my son's baptism, my son's marriage with my own daughter, would it be valid if it wasn't sealed in the temple? Um Mm. and so he so he that way he can see that you're not making this up, that they are actually the ones saying there is a distinction here.
0: Right. And we are too.
1: Yes, yes, (laughs)
2: absolutely.
0: But but they are are also right, right, right. Well, and, and here's what we're not saying, too, is while it's true that there's no agreement, there's no possibility of unity on that level. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't love the Mormons, right? Oh, absolutely. That's not that's not what we're yeah. saying. And I want I want any Mormon who's listening to this to hear that uh, it's it's because we love you that these yeah. disagreements need to come out and we need to talk about those things. So, uh, gentlemen, I would like to thank you profoundly. This was really enjoyable, and um, not only is the topic of great interest, but you guys are fun to to hang out with and talk with, and so uh, I Praise appreciate and I hope. That this is the beginning of of doing other things together. I would really love to connect with oh. you guys again, um, if if you wouldn't mind. So,
1: absolutely, yeah, Eli, we we appreciate you and your and your work in the ministry. We we do. So we we've known about you before. You knew about us for sure.
0: <laughs> for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get you back on in the future. We'll talk about Sola Scriptura and um, and um, but ho- I'm, I'm sure we'll connect before that. Maybe we can uh, yeah. exchange uh, contact info and we can stay connected. Um, Even behind the scenes, I'd love to get to know you guys a little more. So um, would you like to say anything in parting as we uh, conclude this episode to our, to our audience? If you want to say anything to encourage Christians and to uh, challenge uh, any Mormons who might be watching. Uh,
1: uh, For for the Christians um, constantly check your heart, Uh, love, love the Mormons and, and out of concern that they've been deceived that they've bought into a false gospel let that be your, your motivation in going, Paul says, that we're ambassadors of Christ uh, pleading with them to be reconciled to their God. This is, this is their creator who created them, and and they're deceived. So um, as much as there's a bunch of good information to get familiar with, there's a bunch of good scriptures to get familiar with. Um, I have to constantly, as we go out every other Sunday, and we stand in front of the Lord, and we see them walking, is I have to love these people, and I have to pray. God, let my heart break for them. Don't don't let me come out with just uh, an, an attitude of being contentious, right? Amen. Sometimes it's it's good to be contentious in love, but if I'm here just to argue, just to win a debate, just to say, "Hey, look at everything I memorized. Look at how Joseph's wrong," uh, it doesn't do anything if if you're not re- reminded of where you were before the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and and just to add to that, I mean, I mean, Paul even tells us about that. Some uh, piece the gospel. It, it's it's from a place of vanity. It's from mm. a place to show off, to show intellect, to show uh, a greater understanding in this area or that area. Uh, like like my brother said, this is about love. So while we are coming to throw down strongholds and to sh- destroy worldviews, we're also coming to embrace uh, these individuals with love. Without love, this wouldn't be possible, right? I mean, we we give up our Saturday nights, right? We have families. We give up Sunday mornings. We give up time people that we love to go reach out to people that we love and it's very important for us and it's very important for Christians I think in general to understand that we are going out to to rescue people who are who are suffering at the hands of false gospels who are mm. suffering in false religions right this is not a war against individuals the war is against falsehood right we are ambassadors of truth there is falsehood out there and we want to go rec- uh, uh, rescue people. Uh, from the grasp of that of those false religions and (laughs) so from the fire exactly yeah yeah well thank
0: you so much gentlemen if you want to uh real quick tell people i know you guys have a youtube channel yourself if you want to share
2: that with folks real quick um yeah yeah so um we uh we have a a podcast and a youtube channel two witnesses podcast where we talk about a lot of these issues Uh, the heart of it is really evangelism uh apologetics and reaching out in the public square like i said Pressing the crown rights of Jesus Christ, going out and loving your neighbors uh, with the gospel. Uh, if the if we are Christians, believe the gospel is true, then there's nothing more loving than we could do than go mm. preach it, right? And that's where it comes down to. If you're a Christian, you need to be preaching the gospel. Not everybody needs to stand on a crate, right? Not everybody needs to to yell out with a microphone, but you need to be giving the gospel to individuals that don't have it, and so. Mm. Well, thank you so much, guys, ladies, and gentlemen. Thank you so much for
0: sending in your questions and and sticking with us for an hour and forty one minutes. I'm so sorry if that was longer oh. than you expected. <laughs> no, nah, you're good. Hey,
1: thank you, Eli, for having us. We we appreciate it. Time right. flew by,
2: man. It was a, it was a great was time. A, time. We appreciate
0: honor it. Honor and a pleasure, guys. Well, that's it for this yeah. episode, uh, guys. This will if, uh, I haven't updated the podcast in a while, but it will be updated. So just uh, over the weekend, I'll I'll upload this conversation as well as the previous one that I had. Um, the other night um, and it'll be available there so um, things have been a little busy on my end so I'll make sure I know there are folks who don't um, really have the opportunity to watch the YouTube videos they like to watch it on the uh, listen to the podcast so I'll definitely up uh, update and upload those things for you guys well that's it for this episode guys thanks again take care and god bless bye- bye